Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I am Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sally Gentry. Good to see you back. Yes, you guys were so great. You gelled. Uh, Kirsten Hines did a great job behind the mic. Of course, she always does. But the guests, the stories, I was smiling the whole time I was listening to Uh, it. it You're awesome. It was nerve-wracking, I have to say. You know, of course, we're doing this thing live. They throw it at us. All at once. And we've got all kind of in-house guests here. Kirsten did a wonderful job. Uh, And y'all are a great team. It it looked like you guys enjoyed being together. The story is just goosebumps. If you hadn't listened to that episode of the podcast, go back and listen. It just really inspires you. Uh, It was just a great show. You guys did a great job. I was sorry to miss it. No, and tell us about your endeavors and your adventures in D.C. Yeah, so I had an opportunity to travel with some folks from Louisiana to talk about the flooding, where we are. Um, Sales taxes are taking a hit. Uh, We have property taxes that are taking a hit. People not back in their homes. Sally, you know about that all too well. And so we just kind of went out to lay out our case. We brought pictures. We brought stats. You know, we need to get back on our feet to get back to life as we know it. So I think we were heard. I think that there's just so much money to go around and there's so much devastation across the country from Flint, Michigan to Hurricane Matthew victims, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And so it's going to be a struggle to get money where it needs to go. But we're trying to keep Louisiana in the forefront. And I'm just honored to kind of be on that delegation to do that. So it was eye opening. It was inspiring. Um, I was listening to you guys from D.C. I brought my Donate Life flags in front of the White House. I didn't get arrested by the security (laughs) guards. They let me take a picture. So that was fun, too. So maybe more trips in the future. But it's all to help the greater good, to help folks just like our Sal. Well, we definitely Ah, applaud you. Yeah, get back to it. But now we're back to saving lives, doing what we do. On this episode, some great stories coming up that we want you to hear. Uh, We have a campaign to save lives, and they're using a racetrack to Ooh. do it. It's kind of cool. Uh, we're going to tell you all about it. A, a neat hashtag coming your way. You know, you got to love those, especially if you're on social media. So that's coming your way today. And then we'll be talking to a heart recipient who's 13 years out. Mm-hmm. Get this. He wants to be a nurse. Oh, after your own heart. We're going to uh. take him into Lopa. <laughs> but trying to be a lifesaver after right. everything he's been through. So that's his story right. is pretty incredible. And we're going to talk about personalities and Ooh. how we get our personality yes. and some of our personality traits. Are you going to analyze me? Oh, I am. I'm nervous. Oh, I've already got that done. Overanalyze. I'm kind of nervous about that when I hang out with old Sal here, but I love it. I love it. But listen, we want folks to um, hear what we're putting out. It's the Gifted Life podcast. We're easy to find, right? Especially now. Uh, Yeah. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast, or whatever your favorite podcast app may be. Yeah, and so social media on Facebook, we're Donate Life Louisiana, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Donate Life LA. So we try to be as easy to find. Uh, a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast, you'll see on those social media sites. And then, you know, we want this to be interactive. So the hotline, I'm learning yes, it too, indeed. Sally. Yes, 504-648-3477. Give us a call. Yeah, we may use your audio on this podcast. We may have one today. We love it. All that and more, plus we'll honor a hero here on The Gifted Life. You guys ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right, interesting segment coming up, guys. In April 2016, I'm going to walk you through 
There was a partnership between the Indiana Donor Network, KV Racing Technology, and IndyCar driver Stefan Wilson. They joined forces to create a campaign to promote organ, tissue, and eye donation, which is amazing. That is. And, and that campaign that they created is called Driven to Save Lives. That's Driven the Number Two Save Lives. And for all you social media people, that's a hashtag in front <laughs> oh, of that. So hashtag Driven to him. Save Lives. Yes, indeed. Very nice. <laughs> but this is a cool campaign. Absolutely it is. And, you know, being from Indiana originally and knowing, you know, how big the Indianapolis 500 is, and the Brickyard 500, <laughs> I know that this is something that would really touch many people's hearts that do listen and watch racing. Sally's lighting up over here. Do you see this, uh -huh. Joe? All right, we're excited to learn more. We have two ladies with us now, Kit Werby and Sue Finkham, and they're with the Indiana Donor Network, and they're going to fill us in on how this got started and where we are now. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello there. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time out. Driven to Save Lives seems like a cool concept. Tell us how it got started and who's involved. Well, we became aware of Stefan Wilson through some local social media. He had been very active about tweeting about his brother Justin's death. Justin was an IndyCar driver who was killed after an on-track incident in uh, August of 2015. And we became aware because Stefan was very active tweeting about organ donation, saving lives. And so we began to follow him on social and just pay attention to the messages he was putting out there. And come to find out, Stefan lived here in Indianapolis. Uh, his wife was employed at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, we reached out to him in early 2016 just to, first of all, offer any support we could provide, any education or perhaps any aftercare, and also to see if he potentially would be interested in continuing to be an advocate for organ and tissue donation. Those conversations led from one thing to another, and he was trying to get a ride for the Indianapolis 500. We began to have internal conversations about could we really effectively leverage an IndyCar partnership with him to save and enhance lives. As we had those discussions, we kind of put some criteria together. And, you know, first of all, we wanted to say, well, is there message alignment? And when we started to look at what we talk about, organ donation saves lives, mm -hmm. well, Stefan's brother Justin saved five lives by being an organ donor. And you know, organ donation provides a beacon of hope to donor families. And Stefan shared organ donation was the only bright spot on that dark day mm -hmm. um, when his brother died. And we also talk a lot about you know, telling your family about donation. It can provide them peace of mind in a time that's troubling to know what um, their loved one would have wanted to do. Stefan talked a lot about Justin sharing his decision to be an organ donor with his wife. And so that message aligned. And we also talked about registering your decision today to become an organ and tissue donor. And frankly, when we looked at the reason to believe with that message, there was no greater contrast than driving in an IndyCar race one day and next being declared brain dead and having already registered to be a donor. So we clearly saw that there's some message alignment. There might be some real power in telling this story. Some other things we talked about were, you know, is there audience alignment with our target market? Would we be speaking to an appropriate audience? Um, as you guys kind of talked a little bit, you know, the IndyCar racing world is big. Uh, one in five U.S. adults self-identify as IndyCar fans. Uh, when you look at that demographic, they're heavy consumers of a media, and they're very open to learning. Uh, and they also, which is very interesting, exhibit intense brand loyalty. Market research shows that an IndyCar fan is nearly three times as likely to try a new brand or learn about them and two times as likely to remain loyal to that brand. So we thought there was an opportunity there in that niche with organ and tissue donation. That's some very interesting statistics. And it kind of makes sense, you know, when, yeah. you, when you think about it. But I love how everything kind of just fell into place. 
Um, and I really love, because we talk about this on the podcast, one person can make a difference. So you said Stefan was out there on his own social media telling his story about how it impacted him with his brother, his brother saving lives. And then it was like planted a seed and then it started to grow. So we have everything falling into place. Everything was, was lining up. And then tell us about this campaign. Well, once we decided, yes, we're going to go forward, it was all of six days before we uh, <laughs> decided to make the global announcement about it. Wow. We pulled our team together quickly and came up with what we felt would be our effective strategy. We had some must-haves. Uh, well, first of all, we set our third goal, you know, increase organ donation familiarity, grow our donation community here in Indiana, and obviously achieve new registrations. And us as an organization, position us as a leader in nonprofits and organ and tissue donation. So when we started looking at what the campaign has to have, we want it to be race-related. We want it to be inspirational. We really wanted whatever we call this campaign to also be the name of the car entry mm, because yes. they refer to it as, in this case, the Driven to Save Lives Chevrolet. Ah, wow, that's great. And awesome. we want to make sure that whatever we came up with was appropriate there. That it'd be easy to implement and sociable, trademarkable, and have a unique hashtag. Yep. So we landed, as you already said, on the Driven to Save Lives name. We announced that April 26th with a fun press conference at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which for all of us race fans here was just kind of fun being in that <laughs> venue, right. uh, the hollowed halls of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We did that with the team, Stefan, our COO, and our chief medical officer, because we want to make sure we also had some education at every point along the way. Mm-hmm. And Kit will talk a little bit more about media results later on, but we had a tremendous outreach just that day, um, response both on social and in earned media from that day alone. Paired with that announcement, we now, we uh, a key to our strategy was a microsite, uh, driventosavelives.org. It had elements such as a page on Justin and his legacy, a page on Stefan, his desire to honor his brother and drive in the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. We had some fast donation facts like that were all race-related, like it takes Less time to register one's donation to donate than it does for an IndyCar driver to complete one lap. Wow. Around I saw where you were going with that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so you guys had to turn around, you know, pretty quickly. So uh, let's talk about the success of the program. How did we do? Kit, do you have that? I do. It was really a phenomenal campaign. I'm the media relations specialist at Indiana Donor Network, and really I could probably go the rest of my career and never have a campaign such as this one. And as Sue said, it really was a quick uh, pull together to see the results we ended up having make it all the more worthwhile. We had uh, results both from an audience standpoint, from a paid and owned media standpoint, social media, and then also earned media. So I can take you through a little bit of, of what actually happened that day from a TV audience rating standpoint. This was the 100th running of the iconic Indianapolis 500. So the race was sold out. Um, That's the first time in 50 years that that had happened. The audience in attendance was an estimated 400,000 people. Um, The ratings increased. From year to year, 2015 to 2016, they were about even. But in the central Indiana area, there was over 160% increase in the ratings for the race. And so just from a number of eyeballs on the race, the mm-hmm. potential to have visibility to our campaign, that was huge. We had over 2 million impressions via our paid media, so our advertising, that included unique visitors to the driventosavelives.org website. Wow. And then, of course, in turn, we were also driving people back to indianadonornetwork.org. And it was really great to see the number of personal engagements that we really had with the campaign. We had street teams out around the city leading up to leading up to the 500 and 
celebrating um, racing. And so we uh, plugged the campaign in through those activations as well. We had over 200 social media posts on the campaign, nearly 6,000 interactions on social media alone. And then the area in which I take the most pride was the earned media. This story really told itself. Right. Um, so we reached approximately 1.3 billion people Whoa. and that the value, the advertising value equivalency, so basically if we were to go out and purchase that type of exposure for the campaign, that would have cost approximately mm-hmm. $2.4 million. Mm-hmm. So we can safely say that Driven to Save Lives put <laughs> donation and transplantation and in turn Indiana Donor Network on a never-before-seen platform. Wow, and phenomenal. It was incredible. Um, there was a great thread in USA Today, which, which some of you may have seen. It was just great, and it was very um, donation-focused. You can imagine that, that a lot of the coverage would have had a, a mention of Driven to Save Lives in the campaign, but it was obviously heavily racing-focused. So for me, one of the premier media hits out of this was the USA Today piece. And then, of course, there was a huge and very touching um, Sports Center feature with Stefan that basically aired race day morning on the pre-race coverage and then basically aired on Sports Center pretty much every hour on the hour for about 24 hours after that. But just phenomenal coverage. And the Associated Press was really one of our keys there. Part of it was luck, admittedly, but we worked with them to really leverage the story nationwide. So we had tremendous national pickup from the Washington Post and the New York Times to Forbes. We also had, of course, a a lot of motorsports coverage. We had local Indianapolis coverage. We also had some local business community coverage from our chamber. And then we were really proud to have the OPO community rally around us. AATB, UNOS, DLA. So it really was a story that kind of spread amongst all segments. Yeah, everybody working together. I love how you guys came together so quickly. But let's keep in mind, this all started because Stefan wanted to honor his brother and was just doing it through simple social media posts. And you guys came in and then, wow, look at everything that was able to happen and just think about the potential lives saved because of it. So it's hashtag driven to the number two save lives and also indianadonornetwork.org. Incredible. I would encourage anyone who's interested by this to check out the driven to save lives.org website. Obviously, at Indiana Donor Network, we're incredibly proud of this campaign, but, but just from a brother to brother standpoint, the story of, of Justin and Stefan Wilson is, is really touching. And um, the Sports Center piece in particular just really pulls on the heartstrings and, and really motivates people to to get on the registry, to make that decision, to get informed, and to share it with their family. And I would like to say to both you, Sue and Kit, it's great hearing from you and hearing the story and really nice talking with some fellow Hoosiers. Oh, so nice to speak with you as well. Thank you for the opportunity. That was incredible, guys. Thanks so much. On the Gifted Life podcast, we would like to welcome Dylan Sepulvedo. Hey, Dylan. How's it going? It is good. We are so glad that you took time out to visit with us. We are amazed by your story. We want other people to hear it as well. What we do want to tell folks right now is that you're a 23-year-old nursing student, right? Yes, ma'am. That is great. So going to college in North Louisiana, which is amazing. How did all this start? You had quite the journey, right, Dylan? Take us back. You were born with a defective heart. Yes, ma'am. I was born with a hypoplastic right 
or in other words, um, the right side of my heart, like the right chambers, were smaller than the other side. I also had only three chambers instead of four. I had two superior vena cavas and an inferior vena cava that didn't connect. I had hepatic veins that didn't connect, an imbalanced AV canal. So yeah, I guess you could say it was a defective heart. My goodness. When I was eight years old, I had my last heart surgery. Um, It was supposed to be a simple corrective procedure, um, and it turned out to uh, be a lot more than that, and it threw me into a a six-week-long coma uh, that was medically induced. But because of that, um, my lungs failed during the coma. Oh, my God. And so they had to put me on nitrous oxide, and they gave me little to no chance to live. It was a really dire situation. I'm needing a transplant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they sent me back to Shreveport. We met another doctor here who directed us to uh, a different medical center in uh, Dallas, Texas. And once I got there, they did the review process. And they was, yeah, he's definitely a candidate. Like, he should have been put on this a long time ago. Yeah. I had to move to Dallas uh, until I had my transplant because you have to be so close. And I lived there for seven months. And the seventh month, I, I got a, I got the page, and like 11 o'clock at night, I just got finished watching like Jay Leno, I believe, the Family Guy. Uh, I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old. I, you know, it was cool. Um, but uh, we got the page, and I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, this I had a feeling I'm like this this is a this is the real deal here. And we called the number. I said, yeah, you need to come, you know, right now. And so we went. It was September 22nd when we went in. On September 23rd, I got the, the gift of life. You had bad plumbing. You had a bad yeah. pump. Oh, yeah. And you had a heart that had, you know, basically what for, for some of those listeners out there, the electric circuitry was just kind of out of whack. So I can't imagine going from that and then as a 10-year-old, all of a sudden, having all of these things fixed, you know, in an instant. So that must have been oh. uh, some feeling. It was, it was definitely amazing. Um, especially, like I said, every other time I woke up, I, I was hoping I'd feel that burst of energy, or not even a burst of energy, just some type of way to know that I was better. And each time I didn't, I woke up, still had uh, you know, blues in my hands or whatever. And then once I got that transplant, and I'll admit, I didn't have high hopes for feeling better after the transplant. I mean, after those series of... Uh, of uh, surgeries and kind of start losing your hope per se. Um, I woke, but I woke up and I immediately felt the difference. Uh, I'm talking about from then I woke up and I was still under the effects of anesthesia. Um, I looked down and my hands went from that shade of blue to pink, and I, wow. I, I can remember thinking it worked. It what a worked. beautiful wow. sight! <laughs> yeah, it really was. It really, you know, and that feeling that went along with just seeing that color, you know, because I finally after all these surgeries, you know. Something worked. And, I mean, they told me because I was in that coma for six weeks and my lungs did have uh, some damage, they, they said, you know, once you get to some heart, don't expect your oxygen fat to ever be, you know, past 95. A couple months later, they took my oxygen fat and I'm in the first time. It was at 100. Wow. And, yeah, um, <laughs> it was an amazing sight. But, it, like I said, it was, it was definitely a journey. Uh, going through all that when I was before the age of, of nine. I do have a question for you. I, I see here where you had met your donor's family. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I certainly did. Another thing a lot of people don't realize 
about donation, organ donation, rather, is it gives the family a sense of reasoning of why that happened, especially with, like, pediatric kids. Because no one wants to envision their kid something happening to them. But when I saw that Alan, uh, AJ's father, which was his, his, which is his name, when I saw his father look at me, and he had tears in his eyes, and they weren't tears of sadness. They were tears of understanding. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe that's why that happened. When I saw in his face that it was a lot more than just donating an organ. It was donating life. Wow, that is amazing. Hero AJ, um, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing today, which is studying nursing. Now, why go into to that? Is it because of, of your journey? Well, most certainly. I mean, I guess maybe there's other factors, but the best experiences that I had were being around nurses that actually cared and were proficient at their job. And I would like to give back. The nursing environment is a lot more than just a job. You know, it's being there to advocate for your patient, to to be that person's friend and to stand up for them. And also there's a, a book written about your adventure. It's called Dylan's Adventure. You could still buy it. Uh, but your aunt actually wrote that book, Dylan? Yeah, it was actually uh, my great aunt, which I guess tomato, tomato. But um, <laughs> she wrote it. And the reason why she wrote it was once I needed a heart transplant, she realized a lot of people weren't really aware of organ donation and the need organ. Right. And whenever you talk about that, it's always that very bad time, you know, when that comes up. It's whenever someone passed away, unfortunately, and and, and then she realized there's more need for kids. And no one wants to talk to their kids about, hey, if you pass away, you want your organs donated? First of all, no, they're not going to understand that. So she wrote the book as sort of a cartoony way to express organ donation in a very caring way, if you will. On their level, uh, yeah. We always say education is key, and I think her underlying message is these kids never gave up, no matter how tired, how frustrated they get, and I can hear that with you, Mr. Dillon. That's awesome. We think you're great. We wish you the best of luck, and uh, we can't wait to see what, what you do next. I appreciate that. Thank you all. Thank you, Dillon. family support segment today sally tackles personality yeah and and i'm very interested in this one because when i saw this as a segment i said well to me oftentimes i've been told my personality kind of changes whether i'm in the home setting whether i'm work setting or social whatever so what really is personality do i have multiple personalities here (laughs) sally sally i I diagnosed him (laughs) yeah i hear you (laughs) well you know First of all, your personality remains stable over time. Now, you may change the way that you interact with people depending on the social setting. But as far as your personality, it's a characteristic pattern of thoughts, feelings, behaviors, something that makes you unique. And some theorists, well, they state that by the age of three to five at the oldest, your personality is pretty well set. Because by then, you know, you're like this little person who Mm -hmm. has your own ideas, your likes, your dislikes, regardless of, you know, adults may say, wow, they don't know anything yet. But you might be surprised what Mm -hmm. comes, what you know with your own children. I was just thinking back. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. 
You know, even though no single definition applies, um, we can say that personality, once again, is just a pattern of relatively permanent. I say relatively permanent because, as you said, people say, well, you kind of change. Well, you do, but not that personality part, okay? The unique characteristics of the personality is that it gives both consistency and individuality to that person's behavior. What I mean is each of us can look at a situation as it's unfolding, and we see it differently. Even though it's the same situation in front of us, Mm -hmm. no one person is going to have the same worldview, if you will, of what has just unfolded before them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What I might find amusing, Lori goes, well, that wasn't quite so funny. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Or something that you may say, I have no clue. What was he talking about? Mm -hmm. So we're hearing all the same message. But what makes up our personality is a consistency. Personality is a psychological construct. And what that means is as one is developing as a child, there are certain things that happens within the brain that happens to all of us. And so these are called constructs. And research also suggests that your biological needs and the processes also come into play with personality. And then, of course, personality not only influences how we move and respond to our own environment, but it also causes us to act in certain ways. It's displayed through multiple expressions, not only through behavior, but you can see as you're watching people, their different thoughts, their feelings, how they are in close relationships or other social interactions with folks. Mm -hmm. And then along with the personality is you do have personality traits. And most theorists say there's basic five traits, and those are extrovert, neurotic, open, agreeable, and conscientious. And as you know, extroverts are usually described as being very open and gregarious, and and they are often viewed as the life of the party. Someone with an open, that's, yes, Lori, that is you. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) And then someone with an open personality tends to be artistic, inventive, curious. Then your conscientious individuals, they usually live life with a purpose. And, you know, you see different individuals that that you watch. They're very purposeful in what they do. Mm -hmm. They're dedicated. They're uh, ambitious also. And, of course, neurotic individuals kind of tend to be nervous, worrisome. They're on the edge lots of times. And then your agreeable individuals are cooperative, compassionate, very accepting. And these traits can directly affect a person's overall quality of life. Let me ask you a question about the traits. Is there some fluidity between them? Do you often see people from time to time kind of move more in one direction or another? Or is it still this is what they are? Maybe they just might act neurotic from time to time, but they really are Well, yeah, and I think what happens is that in each individual's circumstances, depending on you know, if your life is just going along and you're doing very well, you're basically the same. But if, say, a disaster happens, right. you might see some neurotic behaviors right. come out just due to the fact that people are trying to cope the best right. they possibly can. And, you know, as we're growing up, we've learned these different types of behaviors that help us cope in these type of situations. So when you do see people you know, all of a sudden it looks like they're regressing or, or kids, you know, mm-hmm. regress back to thumb sucking or, you know, maybe somebody goes back to drinking or smoking or whatever the case may be. It's because of these sort of situations that do change a little bit. But basically, you are who you are, bottom line. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're educated. People are 
popping into my brain as you were describing <laughs> different folks, which was fun. But we are all surrounded by these folks in the community and here at LOPA. Sure. Right. And from a family advocate standpoint and from our coordinator standpoint that interacts so closely in our call center mm-hmm. with, you know, individuals in these acute grieving states. I'm curious to know how that ties in. And you're going to learn more about that in our next episode. Ooh, good one. Good tease. All right, so that's coming up. I loved it. All right, more to come here on The Gifted Life. At this point in the podcast, as we do in every podcast, we like to honor a hero. Today's hero, Kelly Terrio. Yeah, Lori. Kelly Terrio is certainly near and dear to my heart because I have become good friends with his mom and dad, Julie and Brian. This is something that they've just written up recently about Kelly. From the day Kelly was born, we knew we had a very free-spirited firecracker on our hands. His baby blue eyes captivated the hearts of everyone that encountered him. Throughout his childhood, he proved to be quite a handful. 100% boy. As he grew older, his love for sports became apparent. Basketball and football were his favorite. He then developed this amazing sense of humor, and he had an infectious laugh. Everyone loved to be around him because he was so funny. It didn't matter what kind of mood you were in. When Kelly would come around, you'd immediately start laughing and smiling. Because of his exceptional personality, he had several close friends, which he cherished. He also loved listening to music, attending concerts, showing off his sweet dance moves, and spending time with his friends and family. After graduating high school, he entered the Air Force. It was there he followed in his father's footsteps and became a firefighter. He served two tours in the Middle East. Upon his arrival back into the United States, he lived in Mississippi, where he was a firefighter at Columbus Air Force Base. He soon came back home to South Louisiana, and his friends and family couldn't have been more excited. A few short years later, on November 3rd, 2012, at the age of 25, he was involved in a tragic accident. Our lives completely flipped upside down. We prayed until we couldn't pray anymore. We pleaded with God to give us our bubble back. He held on for just over 24 hours until God called him home. When he was pronounced brain dead, it wasn't even a question whether we would agree to donate his organs. He was already a registered organ donor. He saved countless lives in life, and we knew he would want nothing else more than to save lives in death as well. Knowing that a part of him lives on through others is heartwarming for us, and one of the things that has gotten us through this tragedy. That was beautiful, and we love Brian and Julie, they're part of our LOPA family that are all of our LOPA events. That's how we know about Kelly. They use Kelly's story to help save more lives, and we appreciate that on social media as well. So they are out there doing what they set out to do, pay it forward, which is amazing. You can see Kelly's sweet face, those blue eyes she talked about on our Heroes page, LOPA.org. We want you to check that out today. And now we pause and say thank you to Kelly for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment, I'm excited. We always talked about this podcast being interactive, and we're seeing more of that as of late, and we love it. But here's what came in to info at lopa.org. As an OR nurse, I have been in the OR 
When the LOPA coordinator said a brief prayer, a remembrance of the donor, and gratitude for the gift that the donor and family are making, I would like to have a copy of one of the scripts to use as an example of mindfulness in action in the OR. Is there someone I could speak to regarding this request? And absolutely, Lori. What this OR nurse is talking about is it actually started as a donor timeout a few years back because in each OR, you have to make sure that you have a timeout and discuss exactly what's being done surgically. Mm -hmm. Well, we've implemented a donor timeout and one of our surgical coordinators, Debbie Jeffries, actually came to me and she was involved in one in another state where they added a moment of silence to it. So I thought that was a great idea. So we started implementing one with a donor timeout uh, to honor the hero. As you guys may remember back from episode 40, when Blake talked about it for, from a tissue donor standpoint, and we kind of both started doing the similar things at the same time, where we offer the family an opportunity to tell us a little bit about their hero. And if it's something that they want us to share at that time in the award, then we will. Mm -hmm. We've gotten really good feedback. I think it's a, a, one of those processes that was somewhat innovative, and, and I think it's it's just the right thing to do. It yeah. seems to have fit perfectly. And, you know, when we're following up, and we mentioned this when we were talking with Blake, the number of families who have mentioned this in our phone calls, them afterwards are saying they really appreciated that opportunity to have a few words shared, yeah. and oh. it, it helped them, too. So I love this, nice guys. Thing. I love it. So we appreciate the question. The OR nurse that sent in the question, we have been corresponding and making sure that she has exactly uh, what she needs to take back to her crew. So we appreciate that. If you have questions, it's easy. Yep. You can contact us at info at lopa.org or call us on our hotline. Yes, indeed. And that number is 504-648-3477. From memory. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of the hotline, we do have a caller that left a message for us. Ooh, let's listen in. Hi, I'm Monica. And I'm Caroline. We are proud to be honored in honor of Michael Fazio. Mickey was a fun-loving 22-year-old. He died on July 5, 2010, to a tragic accident. He was a member of Beta Zai fraternity at LSU. He loved cooking, hunting, fishing, and being surrounded by those he loved. Because of his love for others, we decided to honor his wishes and give life. We recently met with a group of LSU students who have adopted LOPA and want to increase Louisiana's donor registry. Be on the lookout for some pretty neat events they are planning. We are so proud of these students and of everyone who stepped forward to help save lives. Mickey will forever be a hero and the world will be a better place knowing a part of him is still here. Love me some Monica. Love me some Caroline. They have just been helping us in the community. They're advocates for donation. Just love them. They are working with our LSU crew. It's called Rouge Communications, and they are on a campaign to increase our donor registry and increase awareness not only on campus but off campus. And we'll be talking more about that. But on our social media sites, you can see what it is that they're doing. Also, Monica and Caroline, in honor of Mickey, will be attending our Robley Run for Life, which is November 12th. So lopa.org slash events. Yes. So there's uh, plenty of opportunity for folks to get involved, and we hope that you try to do that today. We appreciate it. More to come.
Another episode of The Gifted Life has come to a close. We want to certainly thank Kit Werby and Sue Finkham from Indiana Donor Network and their campaign that they've got going on, Driven to Save Lives, that's Driven, the number to save lives, and just the amount of people that they've been able to reach, 1.3 billion people. That's just outstanding with one campaign. Phenomenal. And you know, I could not expect less from some fellow Hoosiers. That's right. So I was waiting for Indiana. it. Yes, I knew indeed. it was coming. Yes, but indeed. what's so incredible is that it was just one guy trying to honor his brother yep. on his own, and then all these other people started jumping in. That's what we say. You can one. make a difference. One the person. One. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Yes. I love it. I love that campaign. Also, we had... And we had guy. Dylan, of course, yeah. Dylan coming on and sharing his story through that journey of his heart transplant, receiving the transplant, and then paying it forward, helping others as a nurse. I mean, that's right at my heart. That's where you are. I love it. And then the Fazios, Monica and Caroline, love them, donation advocates in the Baton Rouge area. And they are doing what they do to honor Mickey Fazio, a hero. And you can learn more about him on our Heroes page, lopa.org. Great show, and we're working on the next one. Yes. Yeah, we always love that. So more to come. We hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to make life happen. Have a good one.